This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome. It's episode 465 of IAQ Radio. It's Friday, June 23rd, 2017. Our guest should be with us any moment. Today's guest is Dr. Nuna Kanya from the University of Lisbon in Portugal. We're going to talk about indoor air quality, ventilation during sleep, and just a little bit on indoor air quality during sleep in general. Before we get started, we have to thank our marquee sponsors. IAQ Radio marquee sponsors are John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. All right. We also have continuing education credits available for those of you that need CEs for either the ACAC or IICRC or any of the other alphabet soup of acronyms out there, just send me an email at joe.hughes, that's H-U-G-H-E-S, at iaqtraining.com. We'll get you out a quiz and you can get your continuing education credits. All right, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man with this week's IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Hello, everybody. The answer to our last trivia question in what year did the NFL Hall of Fame open in Canton, Ohio, was first provided by Vic Cafaro, Richmond, Virginia? Congratulations, Vic. The IQ Radio question for today, Friday, June 23, 2017, has been sponsored by Ideas, the solution chemistry company, creating unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. What is the common thread running between these three incidents? The 1989 Exxon Valdez oil spill off of Alaska, the Challenger space shuttle disaster, and the Chernobyl nuclear accident. Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. Okay, today's guest is Dr. Nuna Kanya. He he has a master's degree in chemistry from the uh, University of Lisbon in Portugal, also a Ph.D. in environmental sciences from the Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands. His main research interests are instrumental neutron activation analysis, indoor air quality, source apportionment ventilation rates, atmospheric air quality, exposure to air pollutants, and biomonitoring of air pollution with lichens. Uh, we, we, he caught our attention with a paper called IAQ During Sleep Under Different Ventilation Patterns. Um, Dr. Kanye, do we have you on the line? Yes, hello. Hello. Good afternoon to all. Welcome. It's great to have you, um, and and thanks for sticking around a little late today. It's uh, probably about dinner time in, in Portugal. Not yet, not yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, what led to your interest in indoor air quality. How did you get involved in indoor air quality in your studies in college? Well, um, in fact, uh, it was not scheduled uh, in that way, I think, uh, because I, I finished my master thesis in chemistry, and uh, I, I was thinking to start to do some research, uh, but I did not have any idea of what 
would I do, in fact. And then I see an application to, to work on a research project about indoor air quality in primary schools in Lisbon. Uh, it was a, uh, a research project funded by national funds uh, that was undergoing uh, since 2009 until 2011. And I applied to, to that project, and in fact, I, I started as a project assistant in that uh, project where the main goal was to understand, try to understand the indirect quality in primary schools in Lisbon. And, and it was the beginning. After that, I continued my, my work, doing my PhD on that topic. And since then, I, I still work on that field. What, how is the um, indoor air quality in general in the schools in Lisbon? And, and can you tell us a little bit about the construction in your part of the country? Is it most, you know, is it concrete, cinder block, uh, combination, uh, metal? How, how do you build these commercial buildings? Well, uh, most of them are concrete, basically. Uh, but uh, one of the main characteristics of our schools, uh, and in fact it's uh, a characteristic that all the southern uh, European countries have, is that our schools only have usually natural ventilation. And in fact that is the biggest problem that we have, because in winter time, um, usually the windows are always closed, and therefore the pollutant accumulation is a lot higher than it should be, with very low ventilation rates. And I think that is one of the main things that distinguishes, at least here uh, in Europe, from the north of Europe, for example, the type of ventilation used in the, in the schools. Is there air conditioning in the schools, or it, there, there is no air conditioning? They just use the ventilation to get the temperatures into a, you know, an acceptable range? Well, uh, usually there is no uh, air conditioning uh, in schools. Uh, in, uh, what, it, what happens is that uh, in winter time they have electrical heaters, for example, in some classrooms. Uh, this is the typical uh, definition of a, a Portuguese classroom. Of course, uh, some years ago, I think uh, five years ago, there was a national program to uh, remove those uh, schools, Portuguese schools, and uh, some uh, two, uh, two, three hundred schools, I think, uh, were selected to be remodeled. And in, uh, in that, uh, it was then some inclusion of uh, air conditioning, for example, uh, with uh, mechanical ventilation and so on. But that in those schools, there was a problem afterwards uh, because there was not enough um, economical uh, resources to maintain all the equipment working. So th at the end, it, 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 it did not work as hmm. it was uh, expected. Cliff, uh, you have a follow-up? I do, Joe. Uh, thank you for joining us, Dr. The, the primary school that you did this study in, um, how old was that school, years of, of age? Yeah. Uh, it's ranged between maybe um, 30 years and 10 years old. Okay, between 10 and 30. Yeah. And just w one other uh, follow-up. Do the children go to school year-round in, in Portugal, or do they have a long summer break? Uh, they have a long summer break, uh, a long of two months, I think, nowadays, yeah. Okay. Only, only that, yeah. In, in fact, in my PhD, I did one interesting thing that was uh, I studied the indoor air quality in uh, schools of Lisbon, uh, urban area, and I also did the comparison with the rural area uh, in the center of Portugal. And uh, in fact, the main uh, conclusion it was that the conditions, the physical conditions of the schools, were in better shape in the rural area uh, when comparing to, to Lisbon, hmm. for so example. The maintenance wasn't as good in the um, urban school as, as it was in the rural schools? Yes, yes. And uh, we can understand that because uh, in Portugal the schools are from the states, 
from the municipalities. So in the rural area, one municipality only have uh, 10 schools, for example, and here in Lisbon, uh, it's uh, more than 100, I think. So uh, the maintenance in Lisbon in the urban area uh, is a little bit um, worse, I can say that. So what's the than in rural areas? You're uh, in Lisbon. You have a southern European climate. Is that like a Mediterranean climate? Yes, yes, it's true. Okay, so I guess we could compare that to maybe like San Diego in the United States. Does that sound about right? Uh, I believe so. Basically, we have uh, rainy winters most of the time. It's uh, low temperatures and the summer uh, it's usually really hot okay all right let's let's move over to um just indoor air quality in in portugal in general i know you have um you have a, a standard or a regulation but what what's the awareness like i mean do the does the common consumer in portugal know that indoor air quality could affect their health and do they have ways where they could call like an indoor air quality professional to come in and evaluate their their home or their building? Well, um, in my perspective, uh, I, in, fact, in fact, I believe that people, uh, most of the people, the common people, don't are really aware of the importance of indoor air quality that it has on their lives, on their health, and how important it is, in fact. Uh, and that is uh, a problem that we 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 have, and um, for example, uh, if someone wants to to do um, some evaluation of their indoor air quality, there are several laboratories uh, that do that kind of work. But usually, the common people uh, don't know. And in fact, uh, nowadays, uh, in my research group, we are working uh, in one research project nowadays uh, that is called uh, Life Index Air. Uh, that the main goal is to decrease the exposure to PM 2.5. Uh, and we are uh, in the first year of this project. And we are working with schools uh, in Lisbon. And basically, we did an awareness campaign about indoor air quality, about air quality in general, outdoor, indoor, uh, to the kids. It was kind of a 45-minute session with the kids explaining how important indoor air quality is, uh, why it is important, and uh, what can affect uh, uh, the air quality, which are the pollution, pollution sources, and also uh, what can we do to improve uh, air quality, the, the quality of the air that uh, we breathe. And in fact, this is a really good strategy because uh, in around 50 sessions that we did with primary schools, again, uh, with kids from uh, six to nine years old, we did around 50 sessions and we uh, got uh, to around 4,000 uh, children. And that is a way um, of trying to introduce the, th the theme of indoor air quality in the people's life. Because it was really curious to see that the kids already know uh, the, the basics of air, that uh, it may uh, harm our health, uh, but they do not have the connections. So this type of awareness campaign was really good because they could connect all the dots, all the information that they had in order to understand the importance of air quality. And these type of uh, campaigns are really good to, to, to let know uh, the common people uh, the importance of air quality. And it's a work in progress. This, this is all kind of setting up the discussion of sleep and indoor air quality, but let me let me ask you this real quick. As far as PM 2.5 in Portugal, um, do you have a problem? Is it is it very high in, in Portugal compared to, like, I'm, I'm familiar with the National Ambient Air Quality Standards here in the United States. I know World Health Organization has ambient air quality uh, standards, I believe, and do you typically, in Portugal, are you typically um, within 
acceptable ranges for PM 2.5 in your outdoor air? Yes. Uh, usually, uh, we have um, accept, accept, acceptable sorry, uh, values for PM 2.5. Of course, there are specific uh, sites located usually in urban areas um, where um, some uh, monitoring stations that have some problems, continuous problems due to the geographical uh, situation and uh, huge traffic that it has over there, but it's only isolated spots. Uh, overall, uh, usually our uh, PM2.5 levels are in accept accept acceptable range. Although, <laughs> one of the questions that I always think and always say is that most of the monitoring stations are only in urban areas. Uh, and for one city, we have five, six monitoring stations. And my question is, uh, how, um, how that translate our real exposure to PM 2.5? Yeah, and how um, representative is that of the true exposure, I guess? Yeah. What, um, do you have any coal-fired power plants, or is most of your... I would imagine a lot of your PM 2.5 is from traffic, from automobiles, trucks, buses, etc. Do you yeah. have any coal-fired yeah. power plants? We we have some, uh, but uh, for example, in Lisbon, the main, uh, main source of PM 2.5 is uh, is traffic, in fact. But we have some uh, uh, power plants um, nearby the big cities that, that sometimes influence uh, as well. But the main source uh, source of PM 2.5 in Lisbon, for example, is is traffic, uh, without any doubt because uh, usually people use a lot of the car and not yet the public transport at this moment. In, in the United States, the, probably the biggest indoor air quality issue, or at least the one that gets the most media attention, publicity, legal action, is moisture and mold. Is it the same yeah. in Portugal? Do you do you have you know? Is that the number one concern of people in Portugal, or is it something else? Well, uh, when we are talking about indoor air quality, uh, maybe it is the 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 most uh, immediate uh, thing that people come to their minds when talking about indoor air quality: moisture and and mold. Uh, it's the most visible, visible maybe, uh, but uh, in fact, I, yeah, I think it's uh, that, that uh, those parameters are the the most uh, recognized uh, um, that people are aware. I think most widely they are recognized not aware yeah. of others. So they're aware of mold and moisture, but not as aware of things like you know, ventilation, PM 2.5, formaldehyde, uh, VOCs, etc. And uh, no, uh, I believe the, uh, the common uh, person don't have that uh, perception. And now, uh, and what, what led and to your... Go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry, tell me. What, what led to your interest in indoor air quality and sleep? Well, uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, I went to a conference, to the Indoor Air Conference in 2014 in Hong Kong, and it was my first time on that conference, and for me it was an amazing one because uh, there are several hundreds of persons over there, uh, people that I usually read the papers, and I remember that at the, at the end of the conference there was a session about um, Okay, indoor air uh, quality and the future. What should we think about it? And at some point, someone told, uh, okay, uh, people just are interested in indoor air quality in, in daytime, uh, at work, at school, sometimes at home, but they always forget um, indoor air quality uh, during sleep. And that was the moment when I started to think about about uh, this uh, issue and the main reason and in fact it, it, it makes all, all the sense is that we spend around one third of our life sleeping 
Um, usually, the ventilation is not so good. So it has all the conditions to have not uh, very good levels of indoor air quality. And taking in account, okay, the, the levels may be lower, but we are exposed during one third of our life. So probably it will have an interference in our in our welfare in our lives. So that's what was the the beginning and the the ideas that came to my mind when I started to think about this issue. And when you started to look at that issue, did did you find that studies on that topic were were hard to find? Yes, yeah, yeah. That was uh, one of the problems. <clears throat> And uh, in fact, until now, there are very few uh, research uh, papers uh, about indoor air quality during sleep. And uh, one of the things, uh, what is, it is published usually when they are talking about indoor air quality, it's only focused on only one parameter or two, maybe temperature, relative humidity, and maybe CO2. Uh, studies focusing on um, a set a uh, complete set of uh, uh, parameters of indoor air quality, such as CO2, uh, VOCs, uh, PM2.5, PM10, uh, it is really um, scarce uh, in the literature nowadays. Um, and uh, so that was one of other things that made me to, to start working in this area, to try to, to supply some information uh, in this specific microenvironment uh, and this type of setting. You know, when I was I was reading your paper, I I saw you had a list of the types of indoor air quality issues that that people may be affected by, you know, during sleep. And I, I found it interesting. You know, you see all the the usual uh, concerns: CO two, PM two point five. You know. Um, carbon dioxide, uh, temperature, relative humidity. But you mentioned a few others in the paper that I thought were were kind of interesting. Um, things like uh, flame retardants being added to pillows. Uh, can you tell listeners about some of the other um, indoor air quality issues that maybe we don't think about all the time that are related to our sleep? Yeah, uh, the, the question is that um, we spend, okay, uh, around one third of the day sleeping, and the question is that we are um, with our uh, breathing area really close to uh, the pillow, to the bed clothes, uh, and therefore it may have a really direct exposition to, to us um, by breathing, for example. So all the components that are usually used in those type of uh, materials Maybe um, one of um, of the pollutants that that will uh, we will be more exposed in that specific setting of uh, the bedroom, sleeping the, during uh, during night. And in fact, there there have been uh, some studies focusing on the, those type of um, specific materials uh, in the bedroom and in those specific sources such as mattresses. Um, the pillows and, and so on, uh, focusing on those new pollutants that are used, like the flame retardant materials, for example. Yeah, I noticed you had in here that, um, I'll read it, um, let's see, in bedrooms, typical specific sources such as mattresses emit phthalates, isocyanates, formaldehyde, and can contribute to total material emissions, uh, you also said, additionally, mattresses, pillows, and bed linens are often heavily treated with flame retardants and contain residual detergent components and other substances known to have impact on human health. And then, of course, there's the, the potential for, you know, dust mite feces and things of that nature. So it's quite um, an area that we get a lot of exposure, and I don't think, it, like you say, it hasn't been well studied. One of the the studies that you referenced in here was on um, CO2. It was um, the effects of bedroom air quality on sleep and next day performance, and it's a fairly new one, 2016. I think it was in indoor air uh, where they talked about lower levels of CO2 
and how that improved sleep quality and the freshness of the bedroom. Can you tell listeners a little bit about that study? Yes. Um, this study, uh, it is really recent. It is from um, 2016. And it is one of the first studies where they try to understand if there is a relationship between indoor air quality and the sleep quality. That, in fact, is one of the the main goals that I I, I work uh, that, that I work for uh, I can say, but in this specific study, what they did uh, again they only focused in just one parameter uh, of indoor air quality, the CO2 level, and they had uh, a set of uh, two different um, groups of uh, volunteers. Uh, one of them uh, they had uh, ventilation levels. Um, that were better than the other, and basically what they uh, understood it was that in the sets of people that had better ventilation, uh, they had better uh, next day mental performance, and also the sleep quality and the uh, perceivedness of that sleep quality was improved when the ventilation was higher, which means that uh, the CO2 level w was lower. So overall, it was uh, that conclusion that they arrived. So lower uh, CO2 levels uh, will uh, have uh, an impact on the sleep quality and performance of the people on the next day. It's a main issue. And if any of the listeners want the reference on that, I'll send it to Cliff, and then he can put it in the blog. Uh, Cliff does a blog after each show, and he he can put the reference for that particular study in the blog. But I thought that was an interesting um, and, and very current study because there aren't a whole lot uh, of studies on this issue. So what I'd like to do is, um, first, if you could tell listeners, just give them a quick overview of your study, um, what you were looking at, what types of uh, contaminants you were measuring, and then we're going to break for our halftime in about two, three minutes and then um, when we come back from our halftime, we'll go into more detail about your study. Okay, okay. So um, basically my, my study, uh, uh, it was a preliminary study. Uh, our goal was to try to understand how could we uh, study indoor air quality in bedrooms uh, because we have some of the monitoring that we use, uh, they are not noiseless. But overall, what we did in our study uh, was uh, to do a multi-pollutant assessment in the, um, in the air uh, during sleep, where we studied temperature, relative humidity, VOCs, CO2, CO, uh, and particulate matter, PM10, PM2.5, and uh, PM1. And we studied four different ventilation settings. So this was done in just one apartment with one volunteer, and uh, we studied four different ventilation settings. Setting. Uh, it was a natural ventilation, so basically it was uh, one setting, door open, uh, window open, uh, door closed, window closed. So we tried to simulate different ventilation settings, and uh, at the end we uh, could understood which were the exposure levels in uh, each ventilation setting, basically. And you had four settings, door open, window closed, yeah. door closed, window open, door closed, window closed, door open, window open. So, you know, you, you got a good look mm -hmm. at all four different scenarios. Do, do you have any idea um, what most people commonly do, you know, with respect to that one of those four scenarios? I mean, do they more often than not have the door closed and the window open or do, do you know? The question here is that uh, usually we, we don't have air con conditioning, so it's natural ventilation. So what happens is that, for example, in winter time, uh, most of the people use uh, the, uh, the ventilation setting, closed door, closed window, everything closed. Uh, it means the ventilation rates will be really low, while in uh, summertime or when the weather is warmer, uh, people already open the window and also sometimes the, the door. So it, it depends a lot of the weather, uh, the atmospheric conditions. And in, in this particular apartment, how, 
what what type of heating was there? Excuse me, can what, you repeat, please? <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, in this the apartment that you studied, what type of heating was mm -hmm. there? Uh, this study was conducted uh, in the summertime, so there was no eating uh, at the at the time. Okay. Uh, but uh, it, it was electric uh, during winter time. I see. It sounds like most, many of your um, apartments have electric heating. Yes. Yes. Pretty common. All right. We're going to break and thank our sponsors. We'll be back in about a minute and a half. We're going to talk some more with Dr. Kanya. We're talking about the IAQ during sleep under different ventilation pattern study. IAQ Radio would like to thank our association sponsors. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Particles Plus, engineers and manufacturers feature rich particle counters, air quality monitoring, instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. ParticlesPlus.com. Count on us. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them. WolfSense.com. IAQ marquee sponsors are... John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. That's J-O-N-D-O-N.com. Healthy Indoor Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. Legends Environmental Insurance, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. That's legends-enviro.com. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Dr. Nuna Kanya from the University of Lisbon in Portugal on the line. We're talking about sleep and indoor air quality. And um, Dr. Kanya, we, we looked at, you looked at um, air changes per hour. So that was kind of your ventilation uh, rate. The CO2, carbon monoxide, VOCs, volatile organic compounds, formaldehyde, PM10, PM2.5, and PM1. Did I miss any? Uh, no, I think it was all. Okay. And then you looked at each of those IAQ parameters um, under the one of the four scenarios, either doors closed, windows closed, door open, window closed, door closed, window open, door open, window open. Uh, tell First of all, how did you come up with those parameters? Well, um, first I, I, I can say that for each uh, ventilation setting, we studied uh, during three nights, uh, during all the sleeping period. And the selection of these parameters, in fact, uh, it was based on our uh, Portuguese legislation regarding indoor quality. Uh, we can say, and in fact, they are the most common um, parameters that are studied uh, with special focus on PM10, uh, PM10, PM2.5, uh, basically particulate matter. That is one of the things that we work a lot in our research group, and we also wanted to have an overview in the specific setting of the of the bedroom. And. As I understand it, we talked before the show, and that, that original Portuguese ordinance, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was from 2003 maybe or 2006, was... Okay, it was tied to energy rating and public buildings initially. And then in 2013, if I understood correctly, there was another um, ordinance passed that was uh, specific more to residential indoor air quality? Uh, no, not really. What happened, in fact, Portugal had one of the best, uh, and uh, it was one of the first countries to have uh, legislation applied uh, in the law uh, regarding indoor air quality. In 2006, uh, indoor air quality was um, 
uh, within the uh, energy uh, certification of buildings, of big buildings, uh, public buildings, and all the others that have, uh, uh, it, it was bigger than some specific dimensions, we can say. Uh, and what happened is that for the certification of the building, all the indoor air quality was to, um, had to be okay, uh, had to, uh, all the guidelines would be, uh, would be needed to be fulfilled, uh, we can say that. Okay. And what happened, and in fact it was not easy, so easy uh, as that, uh, to have a big building uh, to fulfill all the indoor quality parameters. And uh, it was not so easy to, to all the buildings to have that energy certification, taking in account that indoor air quality was not uh, all fulfilled. And what happened, it was that in 2013, um, there was a change in the law uh, that uh, make a specific regulation uh, just for uh, indoor air quality. Basically, it took uh, the indoor air quality from uh, the air energy certification, and now we have uh, then uh, specific regulation for indoor air quality, but it's not mandatory uh, at the moment. Basically, uh, this regulation for indoor air quality is only used when there is a complaint or uh, there are some suspicions regarding some indoor air quality problem. Only then uh, that legislation um, should be applied. And in fact, in my opinion, it was kind of a drawback from the beginning. If I can say so. In what way? You mean in that it wasn't a requirement that it was kind of um, voluntary? Yeah, because before it was mandatory. So all the buildings, public buildings, restaurants, uh, uh, shopping centers had to fulfill the indoor air quality requirements. And nowadays it's not mandatory, it's only volunteer. And this, uh, I think it's a little bit of the image of our. Uh, Population that they don't uh, are so aware of the importance of air quality for our health, hmm. and so in my point of view, I believe it it was kind of a drawback uh, from the beginning. When it was part of the energy code or the rating, how did you know what what happened if they were outside of the parameters? Did they have to make some changes to get within the parameters? Uh, who measured? to see if they were within the parameters. Yeah, if uh, they were not in the parameters, they uh, would have to, to do some modifications and then uh, do a second audit to confirm if everything was, uh, was okay. And uh, in fact, after 2006, uh, several um, uh, energy and indoor quality experts uh, were trained uh, for this, that's a huge amount of people, experts in those areas working in those specific audits, hmm. which are not uh, necessary anymore, uh, mandatory. Interesting. Interesting. All right, let's go back to your study, and yes. let's let's look at the different parameters and how they varied or changed depending on the type of configuration whether it was doors closed, windows closed, doors open, windows open. Because I, I find it interesting that some of the things you think maybe would have occurred um, did occur, but others didn't, you know, that, uh, for instance, yeah. when the doors were closed and the windows, let's start with doors closed um, and windows closed. What, what did you find then? So, um as it was expected, it was the ventilation setting with higher uh, carbon dioxide uh, CO2 levels uh, due to the low ventilation rate, the air change rate that uh, it had, uh, of course. And uh, it was possible also to, to see that uh, that specific ventilation uh, setting also promoted the higher uh, VOC um, levels uh, and uh, um, formaldehyde, uh, it was not uh, so bad, but monoxide, carbon monoxide as well. It was uh, one of the issues that were above the, the guidelines. I can 
Okay. And for my diet as well. Okay. Uh, well, with PM 2.5. What happened with the PM 2.5 with doors closed and windows closed? Uh, let's see. So, uh, can you repeat the question? Yes, with, with the doors closed and the windows closed, what happened with the particle levels? Well, uh, with the particle levels? Yes. Did uh, they go what up? What happened? We had, sorry, just to confirm here the, the values. Uh, okay, so uh, the PM 2.5, uh, PM 10, for example, uh, the levels uh, were higher uh, in other um, ventilation setting with everything open, but next to it, it was everything closed. The the question uh, here, it's of course the indoor air quality is not equal uh, every day. And there are differences, uh, or it depends on the atmospheric conditions, for example, or the type of activity we have in the room, uh, and specifically in the in the beds uh, in the bedroom. Uh, if we move too much, if if we use uh, sheets uh, and spread them away, it, it will influence influence uh, on the particulate matter. Uh, in fact, and so but in our study, uh, everything closed, uh, show it um, values of uh, PM 2.5, for example, uh, above the, the guideline value that we have here in Portugal, that is 25 micrometers per square meter. And it happened the same, for, for example, for everything uh, open. And where were the measurements taken? Where the in the room? Yeah, where were they taken yeah. in the room? Was it in the middle of the room? Was it right above the bed? Uh, it was around uh, one meter away of distance from the bed, uh, in the middle of uh, of the room. Okay. Uh, you, can, you can say that, for example, that uh, it is not the real exposure that the occupant uh, is um, exposed to. Okay. Because... Ideally, we, we should have the monitors right next to the heads of the occupants, for example. But uh, taking in account that this uh, specific uh, microenvironment is really sensible uh, for the noise, for example, right. because the noise of the equipment can interfere uh, in the sleep of the, the person, uh, we decided to put it one meter away, just to be not so bad. Okay, and and we'll talk in a little bit about um, what types of instruments you used, but let's let's finish with the um, four types of ventilation and and what you saw with respect to the changes in these different indoor air quality parameters. So let's go to the doors open and the windows closed. What did you see then? Just general. Generally. Well, um, over there, uh, the values were below the, um, the guideline, uh, almost to all the parameters, um, maybe except uh, for formaldehyde, uh, but usually they were below the, the guideline. The, the question here, when we think uh, of the type of ventilation that we have in the bedroom, we should be aware of the type of emission sources that we have. Uh, it can be uh, indoors, uh, inside the house, uh, for example, in the kitchen, or if uh, the kitchen is connected uh, really nearby to the bedroom uh, or not, or outdoors, if we have outdoor sources. We should be aware of those sources, sources in order to try to understand the, the levels of infiltration to the bedroom that will explain the ex exposure. And in fact, it was what was noticed here in this study. Um, in other uh, ventilation settings, uh, for example, with everything open, we noticed um, levels of formaldehyde a little bit higher that were strange. 
but afterwards we understood that below the window of the bedroom there was a restaurant um, in the ground floor where, where people smoked um, and that uh, um, increased the formaldehyde levels inside the bedroom, for example. Mm -hmm. So it depends a little bit of the type of sources that we have in our house in, and also in the outdoor. And what about a little more with respect to the um, the doors open and the windows open? What other things did you see in your results that maybe surprised you a little bit? Well, uh, one of the questions, it was in fact that one, for example, uh, the importance of outdoor sources uh, when everything is open, for example, the formaldehyde from uh, outdoors. But it was also the levels of uh, PM2.5 that we also we, we found a little bit uh, higher. Uh, the particulate matter also that are coming from um, the outdoor, uh, for example. But uh, with everything open, it means that we have uh, good ventilation, uh, high ventilation rate, and uh, low levels of uh, carbon dioxide, CO2, for example that will improve our uh, next day performance for, uh, as the other study that we talked about um, a little bit earlier uh, showed. Let me but, uh, in, this, in, my, in my case, in my specific case, we could have found that uh, some specific uh, parameters were a little bit above for um, that ventilation setting with everything uh, open. Uh, such as the, um, the formal, formaldehyde and PM2.5. Uh, it was the, the two parameters that, that the mean values were above the guidelines that are established here in Portugal for um, indoor air quality. And what happened with the CO2 when you had the doors open and the windows open? In, in that case, uh, the values uh, were uh, a lot uh, lower, of course, because uh, there was immediate uh, uh, the, the outdoor uh, took away the, the CO2, basically, and the ventilation uh, setting promoted uh, air change rates uh, in the order of uh, five uh, changes per hour, for example, while when everything is closed, it is around 0.7 uh, changes per hour, air changes per hour. So if everything is um, open, of course the ventilation will be higher. And uh, if we have emission sources in the indoor of the bedroom, such as ourselves when we are breathing with CO2, of course uh, those levels will uh, decrease because everything is open it, and it will be diluted. But the main issue here is that we should be aware that it, it, can, be, it can also happen outdoor infiltration uh, to the uh, indoor of the bedroom. Uh, and that can um, increase our exposure level to some specific pollutants. I'm curious, what, what is the um, recommended limit for CO2 under the por Portuguese ordinance? Uh, in the Portuguese ordinance, we, we have the units are micrograms per cubic meter, but uh, focusing on CO2, uh, doing the conversion, it's around uh, 1,161 ppm. Okay. It's the right. maximum value, the guideline value. And around 1,160 uh, 1, ppm. So let's let's focus on that for a moment. Um, can you tell us what the diff what the CO two levels were under each of the four different scenarios, like a a range? Yeah. So basically, the higher um, the higher CO2 levels were found in the ventilation setting with everything closed, with the closed door and closed window, and that was expected. And that was also 
could see uh, when we calculated the air change rates uh, that we calculated from the CO2 levels that were monitored. Uh, and we could found that um, the, uh, the ventilation setting with the closed door and opened uh, window adds uh, values uh, below uh, everything closed. Um, and the other two were uh, below as well um, when the, uh, the window was opened and the door was closed. The, the, the question here, uh, or, or the main message, I think, is that, okay, if we have everything closed, of course the ventilation rates will be really lower and the air change rate will be lower. That will promote the pollutant accumulation. In the other case, if we have uh, any part uh, or window or door open, that will uh, improve uh, the ventilation rate, uh, the air change rate, and um, uh, the levels of CO2 will decrease uh, as well. Were there any other, um, any of the other parameters you measured that were outside of the recommendation from the uh, Portuguese um, indoor air quality values? Well, um, we we could found um, there, there are, I think, let me uh, confirm. There are three different uh, parameters that were above the, the guidelines. Uh, the first one was regarding uh, VOCs, that we found values above the guideline when everything was closed and also when the door was closed and the windows uh, were open. Okay. Uh, the VOCs usually have uh, indoor uh, uh, indoor source from the paints or, or the 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 floor, the, the woods that we use in our houses. And the other uh, parameter was also formaldehyde that we found um, a little bit higher uh, as well. And uh, PM 2.5, particulate matter uh, of PM, uh, PM 2.5. And in fact, what we uh, found was that uh, particulate matter uh, most of it, it's fine particles, uh, PM 2.5. Uh, if we think in PM 10, most of the PM 10, it's the fine particles uh, that we could see also uh, in our study. And you also measure PM 1. Um, is that one of the standards in the Portuguese IAQ guidelines? No, no, no. Uh, at this moment, we only have for PM10 and PM2.5. Okay. Uh, but taking in account that, um, for example, uh, particles are, are smaller, so uh, probably it will have uh, an, an impact in our health because we can breathe them easily. And because the, our <laughs> equipment allowed to do that uh, test, we decided to, to include it as well. And the, these bedrooms, if I recall correctly, they do not have carpeting. They had wood floors. Yes, this uh, specific one, uh, it had uh, wood floor, uh, and uh, it did not have um, uh, carpet, uh, carpet, and, and so on. Yeah. Okay. And what what type of construction is it? Is it concrete? Uh, Brick, I think I yes. remember now, it was a double brick wall. Nowadays, it's double brick wall, yeah. Okay. Uh, usually, uh, the new constructions are like that. Okay. So, masonry is, is pretty popular over there. Um, is there anything else that, you know, in the results that maybe surprised you a little bit? I think the the biggest surprise is the variability of the indirect quality. Uh, even sometimes in the same setting, uh, it it depends on several factors. Um, our, uh, they, our exposure uh, it depends of uh, what we do inside the house, uh, what is happening outside, what we do in the bedroom, of what type of materials we we use. Uh, so it was that big uh, difference 
from one uh, situation to other that for me it was the most uh, surprising um, thing of, of our study. And if you could just real quick tell listeners what what type of instrumentation you used to take these samples. If I'm not mistaken, I thought I saw Grey Wolf in there somewhere. Yes, yes. For, for this, because we, we wanted to study um, how, uh, the evolution uh, of the several uh, parameters through all the sleeping period. So we only used uh, real-time monitors uh, for all the parameters. So we use a, a, a gray wolf device uh, to temperature, uh, relative humidity, CO2, CO, VOCs, and we also use more to uh, a formaldehyde for formaldehyde um, level, and the track monitor uh, in order to assess a particulate matter, PM10, PM2.5, and PM1. Okay, that's uh, so track. it was those three equipments that we use. And that's, I think, dust tracks a TSI um, product. Yes. Yes. And Grey yes. Wolf, by the way, you, you probably didn't know this, but they're a sponsor of our show, so we're happy to see you use their product. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. It's let's, really nice equipment. Good, good. Uh, let's let's kind of wrap things up a little bit here. Um, what you know? What if? Um, what future studies are you looking at? Are you? Are you? Did this kind of get you to think about maybe doing some other? Studies on indoor air quality and sleep? Yes, yes. In fact, this was a, a, a very preliminary uh, first approach to this uh, issue, uh, indoor air quality during sleep. In fact, nowadays, um, I managed to... Because I think the main question that we have to answer is if indoor air quality may affect our sleep quality. And if it affects how uh, how it works uh, that relationship, because in fact uh, sleep is really important for us for our next day performance, welfare. Uh, so that is the the main answer, uh, question that I want to answer. So uh, for that, what uh, I did in the last couple of uh, months, maybe already one year, year I managed to together. Uh, a team uh, of different uh, experts from different areas uh, in order to try to uh, to do a, a more deep study about this issue. So I have a team with uh, sleep doctors, uh, cardio-respiratory uh, experts, and what we are doing at this moment, uh, it's uh, a study uh, with 10 couples uh, of the Lisbon area. Uh, and in each couple, uh, we studied uh, their uh, indirect quality better. Uh, for each couple, we studied during 10 days uh, using uh, actigraphy, basically to measure the, the level uh, of activity. Uh, and we measured the indirect quality in their, um, in their bedroom during sleep. In this study, we are also measuring uh, the bacteria and fungi uh, levels as well before uh, the night sleep and after a day awake are awake and at the same time uh, during the, uh, that period of 10 days we are measuring the, um, the sleep quality using a polysonography uh, technique basically uh, we are trying to understand the several levels of sleep that people undergo uh, during the, the night. And the, the output of this study, that what we aim is try to understand uh, if there is some specific uh, air pollutant that may affect the sleep quality. So that is our, our goal at the moment. Well, hopefully when you're done, we can have you back and, and talk a little bit about that particular project. Yes. Um, before we go, uh, we always like to ask before we go if there's anything you'd like to add, any other comments you'd like to uh, have listeners hear before we wrap it up. Well, uh, my 
my main idea in fact is this type of uh, show is really important to to talk about uh, the air that we breathe because uh, people sometimes are not aware of their importance and uh, this specific type of microenvironment uh, should be studied um, a little bit more because uh, we need more data to try to understand our overall exposure in this specific uh, a type of microenvironment, the sleeping environment. Uh, and it was a pleasure for me to talk about uh, our study in your show. And uh, if anyone has any question at all, uh, can contact me and it will be a pleasure to talk about a little bit more. We will, uh, if it's okay with you, we'll put your contact information in the blog that Cliff is writing uh, as we speak. Yes, yes, no problem at all. Fantastic. All right, Dr. Nuna Kanya, uh, PhD at the University of Lisbon. Great show on indoor air quality and ventilation during sleep. Thank you for joining us. I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. He's writing away back in the McKees Rocks studio. Uh, John, you got to have faith at the controls. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks, of course, to our loyal group of listeners out there. We'll be back next Friday with the next broadcast of... IAQ Radio. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.